Let's start with prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, tonight. And we recognize that this is just an empty building uh, without your church. You've chosen to dwell in the hearts of those who know you. And so tonight, Lord, I pray that you would anoint your word in me, O Holy Spirit, as it goes out, that I would in no way encumber the power of that word, and it would go out unencumbered, unhindered, into the hearts of those who hear, who believe, and those who are about to believe, that it would bear good fruit in each of our lives, that we would be able to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, that we would be about your business in these very last days of the church on earth. So bless this service tonight. It's all done to your glory, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Well, we start with a few announcements. One of them's really cool. We have a new baby. Do we have a picture of her? Look, there she is. Little Reese. That's right. Look at that. And despite Manny being the father, it's still a very cute baby. This is the only time in a woman's life where you can announce her weight. So I can say that she was six pounds and some odd ounces, right? When you guys have birthdays, maybe we'll start doing that. There's some birthdays here tonight. I'll announce your height and weight. Would you ladies like that? No, probably not. So anyway, we can announce Reese's weight at six pounds. And she came in, I think, Wednesday. Is that right? And uh, we're blessed, blessed to have her here. That We're increasing the church through such methods as that. And also you guys uh, can uh, share the gospel, and that's another way to to increase our numbers here, but we're really excited. And that is a miracle, baby. You know, the doctors said that her womb was empty, and they took, and looked, took a picture. Uh, what's that little scan they do on the mommy's tummy? Ultrasound. Ultrasound. Thank you. And uh, there was nothing there. And so they came in to do a DNC, and uh, they thought, well, you know, maybe before we do that, we'll just look one more time. Voila, there's a baby there. So what God opens, no one closes. So a few more announcements. Um, we have connected cards in the pew, so if you're new here uh, tonight, uh, we're glad you're here. Welcome. Uh, you're automatically a part of the body of Christ in Old Town Orange. Our digital weekly announcements have been printed out and are available to you in our welcome booth, and the sermon is online in the back. Um, we've already talked about the new baby. Fight night. This week is very important. Uh, we all should be going to Wednesday nights. And there is a dinner at 6, and that's fine, but that's not the main reason to go. The main reason is prayer. That's why we call it fight night. And this week, we are holding up our teachers and students as they enter a very perilous new year with lots of rules that change every other day and all that goes with that, but the opportunity for our teachers and our students to be witnesses for Jesus Christ in the schools. So if you are a student or have a student or are a parent... Please come this Wednesday, and you can join us at 6 for dinner or at 7 o'clock for prayer, and uh, we were dedicating the whole evening to that. Also, oh, it's next week. Thank you for the correction. That's next week, and it does actually say that here if I just read it all, so there you go. Okay. You can't skim the announcements. I used to skim all of my classes in school, and that didn't always work out so good. Just kind of generally pass over. Um, Yes, that's on the 11th. Thank you so much. Street Fair. Uh, The Street Fair is coming up. We'd love for you to volunteer for, we have a little booth, usually in the circle. And after people uh, have gone through with their families and so forth, we'd love the opportunity to pray with them. We'd like you there to join us. So please uh, see Doug Berry to sign up for that. 
New member night is coming up on August the 18th and 25th in room 36. So if you recently joined here and like to learn more about our church, its calling, its beliefs, and its mission, we hope that you would join us for a complimentary dinner at 6 and then our pastors for more information. And then uh, finally, um, we have the men's conference coming up, and that is August the 28th at 8 o'clock to 3.30 at the church here. We're going to have special speakers and music by formerly Saul, pancake breakfast, barbecue lunch, so please pray about attending this. Invite other men to be there, and we want every man to know you are not alone. And then in the notes here, it says pray for uh, Laurel... Pedrasa, uh, he just re-enlisted with, so is that Laurel? How many, help me out with a name here, anyone? <laughs> well, let's pray for, uh, for Laurel Pedrasa, who just re-enlisted with the Marines. God bless him. It looks like it says Marines. Whoever wrote this has handwriting much like mine. All right, well, let's pray for Laurel, and if it's wrong here, God can correct us, I'm sure. Heavenly Father, we hold this person up to you as they've re-enlisted to stand, Lord, to protect our country. And we pray that you'd bless them. We pray that they would walk in safety and that you'd put a hedge of protection about them and that you'd use them to glorify your name as they serve this country and serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Yes, thank you for your worship tonight, Jason. I was enjoying the worship and the dancing up here. Did anybody see the little girls dancing? What a blessing. I that. You know, uh, we could have a little more uh, maybe dancing. If any of you are dancers, that would be great, you know. But it's, it's a blessing to see the little girls enjoy that. Our scripture tonight comes from uh, 1 Kings. We're moving through where Pastor Dave has been. Uh, and uh, last week we finished chapter 8. For those of you that brought your Bibles, I hope you did. But the scriptures will be up on the screen. And we're, I'm going to back up just a little bit, and we're going to read from uh, right about verse um, 10 through about verse 30. And it came to pass when the priests came out of the holy place that the cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priests could n- not continue ministering because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. And then Solomon spoke. The Lord said he would dwell in the dark cloud. Take note of that. I have surely built for you an exalted house and a place for you to dwell forever. Then the king turned around and blessed the whole assembly of Israel while the assembly of Israel was standing. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel who spoke with his mouth to my father David and with his hand has fulfilled it, saying, Since the day that I brought my people Israel out of Egypt, I have chosen no city from any tribe of Israel in which to build a house, that my name might be there. But I chose David to be over my people Israel. Now it was in the heart of my father David to build a temple for the name of the Lord of Israel, the Lord God of Israel. But the Lord said to my father David, whereas it was in your heart to build a temple for my name, you did well, it was in your heart. Nevertheless, you shall not build the temple, but your son who will come from your body, he shall build the temple for my name. So the Lord has fulfilled his word which he spoke, and I have filled the position of my father David and sit on the throne of Israel as the Lord promised, and I have built a temple for the name of the Lord God of Israel, and I have made a place for the ark in which is the covenant of the Lord which he made with our fathers when he brought them out of the land of Egypt. 
Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands toward heaven. And he said, Lord God of Israel, there is no God in heaven above or on earth or below like you who keep your covenant and mercy with your servants who walk before you with all their hearts. You have kept what you promised your servant David, my father. You have both spoken with your mouth and fulfilled it with your hand as it is this day. Therefore, Lord God of Israel, now keep what you promised to your servant David, my father, saying, you shall not fail to have a man sit before me on the throne of Israel only if your sons take heed to their way that they might walk before me as you have walked before me. And now I pray, O God of Israel, let your word come true, which you have spoken to your servant David, my father. But will God indeed dwell on earth? Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you, how much less this temple which I have built. Yet regard the prayer of your servant and his supplication, O Lord God, and listen to the cry and prayer which your servant is praying before you today, that your eyes may be open toward this temple night and day, toward the place which you have said, my name shall be there that you may hear the prayer which your servant makes toward this place. And may you hear the supplication of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place, hear in heaven your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. We're going to talk about that last verse. I think it's very important. When you hear, forgive. Well, in an overview of these last couple of chapters that we've gone through. We've gone through the construction of the temple. It took a little over seven years to build the temple. By today's dollars, uh, over half a billion dollars it would have cost to build it by today's dollar. There was a small army of priests building this temple. Every detail was determined by God. It was critical, important. And now we've had just the biggest church service in history. The whole nation shows up for a barbecue, right? Can you see this in your mind's eye? Animals, too numerous, it says we couldn't count them. And there's some pretty big numbers counted in Scripture for sacrifices. This barbecue was the biggest the world has ever known. So they just had this big celebration. They got all the tools and everything in place, right? And all the work is done. Have you ever done something like that where you've just finished all the work and it's like, okay, so we're all, it's all, they've been working night and day for seven, over seven years and it's all done. The barbecue is done, the anointing is done and then the presence of the Lord comes into the temple and it says in verse 10 that it was so dense, so thick. I tried looking up this word of the cloud of the Lord in Hebrew and I was not really satisfied with the answers I got. But it was almost like a more than smoke, more than a cloud. It was so thick. You know, I've looked up the word smoke as an axiom in our language. You know what an axiom is, right? It's usually something that you have a meaning for that in and of itself doesn't have much of a meaning. So we have an axiom, for instance, I gave him the whole nine yards, right? And now, what you mean by that, we understand. You gave him the whole thing, right? Well, but why, why 27 feet? Why would 27 feet be an indicative? Why not 30 feet? Well, why? You say, I gave him the whole nine yards. But these axioms have an origin. And actually, in World War II, there was a fighter plane called the P-51, for any of you airplane buffs. And there was 27 feet of 50 caliber rounds 
in each wing. And so when an Air Force pilot landed, and so how'd you do? He might say, I gave him the whole nine yards. You gave him every bit of ammunition. So we have this smoke now in the temple. So I looked up axioms in English. You might be able to think of something, right? Holy smokes. Uh, You know, we use that one. We don't think a lot about what it means. We've used the the phrase, there's no smoke without fire. You've heard that, right? Some of these I'm reading here, I'm going to skip because, well, you could say, because they don't make all make sense to me. I smoked them. That means you really beat them good, right? I've heard this one. Uh, This guy smokes like an old Corvair. Now, for you younger folk, you probably don't know what a Corvair is. It was not an especially good car. And even brand new, the rings around this car were not well-seated, so it would just smoke and smoke and smoke. I actually saw one the other day. It's the first Corvair I've seen in quite a while. Um, To blow smoke, right? You've heard that one. To go up and smoke, that's another one. Um, let's see what else we got here. Oh, smoke and mirrors, right? You've heard that one. Smoke eater, well, we know who that is. And uh, to smoke a peace pipe, we've heard that phrase. And uh, smoke screen, there's just a few. There's a bunch of them. There's about 19 or 20 phrases we use in English. But this smoke in the temple was something completely different. You know, I was driving up eight, Highway 18 toward Crestline some years ago. And uh, it was wintertime, and the time when, sometimes when you go up Highway 18 toward Crestline and Arrowhead and all of that, you'll literally drive through the clouds. And I drove through a cloud, and it got denser and thicker and thicker and thicker until I could see just three lines ahead of me, right, then two, then eventually one, then none at all. And it was like falling off a cliff, which is exactly what I was afraid I might do. And eventually, I had to open my door. I literally did it, open the, the door of my truck to look down to try and see a line. That's how bad it was. So what's the point of this smoke in the temple? Well, the Bible gives us a hint. It cut off all the work. Now, the work was anointed. I'm not saying that as men and women of God that we don't work. And everything I talk about tonight, I'm going to try and put skin on because we want to remember. We don't want to go through these books and read them as history, and they are, or archaeology, which they are, or poetry, which they are. But every single verse in this book has skin on it for you and I. So when we see the temple working so hard, and a time of work was appropriate, but now it's done, and God wants them to quit. And I think he knows so well that the people who have been such a groove of working, he's going to have to find a way to stop it. So he turns on the smoke, and it's so thick with his presence that it says the priests in verse 10 could do no more work. In Psalms 61, 1 and 2, it says, Hear my cry, O God, and attend to my prayer. From the end of the earth I will cry to you when my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Some of you have been in times of deep smoke when you could do no more work, when the thing you were facing was so monumental that all work ceased. Maybe it was a doctor's report. Maybe you got a call from a police officer about a child. Maybe you lost your job. This time of COVID has put a lot of us into a time of smoke. And I think for the people of Israel, God wanted them to all stop the work. The work is done. The work was great. But now it's time to stop 
and just wait on the Lord. And I think it's the inclination of men and women, and especially this man, that it's very hard, very hard for God to get you to just stop it. And that's what he's done here. All the temple services are over. The barbecue is done. The butcher and eyes are cleaned and put away. And God just fills the temple with his presence. And sadly, for most of us, it takes something of a cataclysm to get us to go to that place. And I can tell you from experience that there is a place that is higher than I. And you've seen people go through it. And you discover, and they discover, that that place they don't really know. You know, we come here and we raise our hands to God. And we see in scripture here that Solomon in his prayer raises his hand. By the way, do you know that there's no place in scripture where it says to close your eyes and bow your head? That's not in scripture anywhere. There's all kinds of scriptural examples of how prayer is done. But the way we do it's not there at all. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to do that. I'm just saying it's kind of interesting. Solomon's way of prayer is like this. Eyes wide open, he's praying. Hands up in the air. Other places, they're lying flat on their faces, right? So, just kind of an interesting aside. But um, God will do what it takes for most of us to bring us to that place. And in that place, sometimes people will move there and find there is no place that is higher than I because they do not have a personal relationship. You can raise, did you know you can raise your hands in church and not know Jesus? Did you know that you can give money to the church? You can be a Sunday school teacher or a preacher and not know Jesus Christ. And so I think God in his mercy allows those times of clouds to come into our lives to show us there is no place in their lives. And for others, he just wants more of you. He wants you to stop and listen and take that opportunity to just sit in his presence. God is glorious and God is so merciful to us. When we're in the place of dark clouds and we don't know which way is up or down, just like I was in that fog, you need to know that you are not abandoned or alone and we must cry out. And Peter, in 1 Peter 2.9, says it way better than I can. And he's kind of addressing those people who don't know where that place is higher. They don't know that personally. He says this, you're not like that. You are chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you where? Out of the darkness into his wonderful light. You see, you may go to a friend's house that's not a Christian, relatives, right? Workmates. But when they see you go through the cloud and you come out on the other side trusting Jesus, You don't crumble. You stay close to God, even closer than ever, right? That's the proof of your relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, I wish it weren't this way. I wish I didn't have any of those things in my life. I don't wish that for you, and I don't want it for me. And the times I've gone through, I have have been uh, the hardest times of my life. But God did take me to that place that is higher than I. And it has been my very best witness, my very best testimony to those that have watched my life, watched me stick to it through those times. I'm sure the same has been true for many of you. And if you haven't seen those times yet, brother or sister, dear one, you will. That's how it works. Why? Because we serve a merciful God. And it's the only thing that's going to prove to those people that you pray for 
those relatives, those friends, those neighbors, that you are the real deal, that Jesus is real. You see, Jesus isn't walking around preaching here. Have you noticed that? He's chosen to use us knuckleheads. Why? I can't imagine. It's so ineffective. But he does. He wants to use you and I. All right, so let's talk about that temple a little bit. And I'm going to talk about why the temple was so important and why that has now changed. Well, we already talked about all the work of the temple, right? And the need for the work to stop. Now, there's nothing, there's no comparison I could think of that's anything like that in our lives. I mean, come on, this was the temple of God. This was the temple. We went from using a tent, a tabernacle, to an actual building. It's amazing, amazing thing. And as Gentiles, which I think probably most of you are, if you're not a Jew, by the way, you're a Gentile. Okay, so let's establish you're mostly Gentiles here. Pastor Bob's not here tonight, so I'm not sure we have any Messianic Jews with us. So, um, uh, but uh, as regular Gentiles, there's no comparison. But maybe a little bit. Maybe you plan some big deal. Have you ever been part of that? The biggest deal for most of our lives that you would ever plan would be a wedding. There's several people in here that are planning weddings I know of. And um, that's a big, big deal. Lots of details, right? You know, Michelle and I haven't been married that long, and so it's still very vivid in my mind. All the details. You would never believe all the details that are go into a wedding, and they're all critical. They're all critical. You know why? Because the woman who's agreed to marry you says they are. Now, again, not the temple, not the same. Now, I do think the cost was about the same, about half a billion dollars. Because I don't remember being so poor until after the wedding. But it was a great day. And there's a million details. And you know, they have those videos up of weddings gone wrong. Because in order for the wedding to really work right, at least in the bride's eyes, uh, all, every one of those details has to work perfectly. And you know, we're in a flawed ro- world here, so that doesn't happen very often. You know, amazingly, though, I have to say again as an aside, ours did. It came off without a hitch. And even when there were some small hitches, and Michelle took it like a sh- champ. It didn't phase her one bit. We were focused on the goal. We didn't let any of the details bother us. So we have Israel here, and we have to understand that Israel was immersed in the law, right? For the purposes of this, we'll call it the Ten Commandments, but there was over 600 of them they had to follow. And the temple was the center of God's presence, which it was, and of the way they could relate to God through sacrifices. That was it. And to give you an example, even today, how important the law is to an Orthodox Jew, I have a good friend whose daughter went to work as an au pair in Israel several years ago. And on the Sabbath, they were not allowed to work. Well, we know that. And all God ever intended for the Sabbath was take a day off, don't work, have a good time with your family, go on a picnic. But no, the Jews took it much more literally. And so my friend, her name was Darcy, still is Darcy, she's working in this home, and it was also considered work to tell someone else to work. Crazy, totally crazy. And so it would get dark, and they had to hint Well, it's sure getting dark in here. It would be nice to turn on a light if someone would like to do that, please. That's what they had to do. They would hint to her to turn on the lights. But, well, the law, it no longer exists. Why is that? Well, God has set us free. 
And if all that weren't enough with the Sabbath, you know what they had to do on the seventh year. I know you guys do, many of you. The seventh year, they had to take the whole year off. And for the most part, they never did. That was part of their exile. Again and again, we see in Scripture that God has his people, his leaders, take a special time out. And as you go through Scripture in your mind, can you think of great leaders God has called, not just his people, but individuals to take time off? Well, um, how about Moses? Forty years. Forty years looking at the south end of a northbound sheep. Basically, that was his life. Forty years getting him ready. What about the Apostle Paul? Three years alone in the desert, right? Again and again, we see God calling for his people, either through smoke or various circumstances, personal, that you guys have had. This COVID time, we all got a time out for over a year, didn't we? Yeah, God wanted to use that time. What does he yearn for? Does he yearn for sacrifices? No. He yearns to gain ground in you and in me. That's what he's after. You know, our pastors here are amazing. I love our pastors. Each of them are amazing. They're the real deal. They're anointed men of God. And of all the great attributes, and I get to see backstage, so to speak, with our pastors to see when problems happen and various things happen in the church, how they handle it. And I can tell you 100% of the time, they're amazing. But you know the number one attribute that I appreciate the most is the fact that they place their time with God and their time alone with their families as number one. Right now, the whole only reason I get to be up here tonight is because Pastor Dave is with his family. He's taking a time out to be with his family. That's important to him. Now, he loves preaching. He loves standing up here and sharing the word of God with you and with me. But he knows where his priorities are. You know, Paul was in the middle of a great revival and he gets thrown in prison, right? And uh, you could think, well, this great evangelist is now thrown in prison. What a waste of manpower. What a waste of talent. He's getting this time out. It's not fair. This must be of the devil. But, well, maybe not so bad because he wrote most of the New Testament while he was locked up. This was a stone-cold, steely-eyed preaching monster, and God knew the only way to get Paul to sit down and write the New Testament was to lock him up. Don't be like that. Take time with God, right? Well, the importance of the temple. We know that on May the 14th, 1948, Israel was reborn as a nation, weren't they? What an amazing day. God's plan. And there's a lot to say about that, which we don't have time for tonight. But when they were reestablished as a nation, they were not given Jerusalem. And hence, in Jerusalem, the historical God-given capital of Israel was the temple and the Temple Mount because, of course, the temple had been destroyed. So they didn't get that. You imagine what that feels like to the heart of a Jew? Now, again, we don't have any, anything like that in our lives as uh, as Gentiles but I can only imagine what it must have felt like to be reestablished and the joy of that but they don't get Jerusalem so they're attacked uh, during the uh, 1967 war and um, it's not looking good for Israel but God one of my favorite phrases in all of scripture but God 
The plan was to drive Israel into the sea. Only 19 years after they'd been reestablished as a nation, all of their enemies, prompted by the devil himself, had devised a plan to completely defeat this small little nation and drive them into the sea. But God. So the battle goes on, and of course we can't go through every detail of that. But it was around about, uh, I think, about six days, and we're going to see a short video, into the war. Israel's winning. Street by street, house by house, God has given them victory. And they're not afraid of anything. These men and women are going through, running through the streets as fast as they can because they've now entered the holy city of Jerusalem. For the first time in 2,000 years, their home. Oh yeah, they had their nation, but they didn't have Jerusalem and they didn't have the Temple Mount. And just thinking about it puts tears in my eyes. They're home at last. And they were very careful. They didn't use any, uh, any artillery to defeat their enemy. You know why, don't you? Because they were firing at their precious city. So it was hand-to-hand combat to get through. And you know how they entered the city? Do you know how? You're going to see it in the video, so it's going to go by fast, so don't miss it. They entered through the lion's gate into the city, and they retook Jerusalem, and they made it back at last to the Temple Mount, to the Wailing Wall. Let's take a look. In the early morning of June 7th, the Israeli paratroopers advanced on the holy city. They advanced without artillery support, seeking to prevent damage to the city's Look ancient Look how narrow that, wall, that gate is. The battle lasted from early morning to the afternoon when the announcement was made on the radio. Har Habayit Be'adenu. The Temple Mount is in our hands. For the first time in 19 years, Jews could pray at the Western Wall. And for the first time in 2,000 years, a united Jerusalem Judaism's holiest the city was back in sovereign Jewish hands. Isn't that amazing? I'm going to try and say it in Hebrew again. Kar habai me adenhu. Kar habai me adenhu. The temple mount is in our hands. The temple mount is in our hands. Well, Those Jews were celebrating a return to the temple, which they recognized as the presence of God. How much more than we as Christians who know who Jesus is, who have received that Messiah as our Lord and Savior, should be dancing. Because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us, we should have that same dance, that same joy. Could you put that screen back up in the back or did we lose it again? I'm just keeping an eye on the time here as we go into our second and third hours here tonight. Just kidding. Five minutes? Oh, we're going to do hand signals. That's great. You think I can see that far? Thank you, guys. Five minutes. <laughs> well, I'm going to skip through some verses here because we're going to run short in time if I don't. We don't have a temple anymore. We don't have that, and there will be uh, other temples. I'm not going to get into that tonight, but there was really only one. That's Solomon's temple. And uh, I may actually just skip. Let's just go to, uh, we got a couple more minutes here. Ephesians two nineteen through 22 talks a little bit about where the temple is and where God dwells now. So let's take a look at that. Ephesians two nineteen through uh, 22. 
Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Now pay attention. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building, who's that? That's you guys. That's the temple. Being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you are also being built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. You, each of you here tonight, each of us are the fellow saints and citizens of God. You who have walked in confusion through the cloud, you who have been set in quiet places, each of you with Jesus as the cornerstone are the building of the temple of God. You are the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. I know you know that, but we need to walk in it, don't we? If you are his, you are chosen. And by the way, you also no longer belong to you. Did you know that? No, you're part of the temple. You don't belong to you. But then again, what did you ever do for you anyway, right? 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? There's the temple now. You are the temple. Shouldn't that affect how we act, what we do, what we listen to? Every single aspect of our eyes, of our lives. Let's, I'm going to say that again. Wait. Shouldn't knowing that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit affect every single aspect of your lives? Amen. There you go. <laughs> yes. In Revelation 21.3, it says this. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be their God. Now, just as another quick aside here, do not think for a second that I am saying that the people of Israel have been set aside. Some people teach that. We do not. The promises of God are irrevocable toward Israel. And they will one day recognize him as their Messiah. Well, we have in the final verses, or in verse 21, 21, and 22, an interesting verse here I want to point out just before we close. The city of God is going to be lowered out of heaven. And it's an interesting thing in this lowering that there is no temple mentioned. But I saw no temple in it. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need for sun or of the moon to shine in it. For the glory of God illuminated and the Lamb is its light. Is that great? We're going to be a part of that. Are you guys ready? I'm ready. Okay, a couple of quick takeaways. First, sometimes even often God through various means will stop us from getting caught up in work. To focus on him. Sometimes through a depression, through a loss, through physical means, through whatever. You know, during this time of COVID, nobody missed this building. Did anybody miss this building? I missed you. We missed each other, right? But we didn't miss this building. Now, I never thought, oh, I miss going to this old 1965 built building. I, don't, I miss this. I, I miss the musty smell of the old carpet. No, nobody did that. But I missed your faces. Beautiful and ugly, old and young. I missed you all. Second, there is a holy temple, a dwelling place for God, and you are it. You are it. So we need to act like it, don't we? We are all being fitted as stones. We say, well, you know, I kind of like doing my own thing. Well, like it or not, you're being fitted. And if you're going through trials right now, through individuals, guess what? God is trying to fit you two together because you are being made into the temple of God. 
That's how it works. Okay, back to this final last verse that we looked at tonight. Verse 30 in chapter 8 of 1 Kings. It ends with this. Hear in heaven your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. One of the attributes of a true Christian, a man or woman who was born again, is that they walk in repentance. Now, I don't mean that you walk with your head down, oh, I'm so bad, I'm evil, I'm no good. No. We walk in gratitude that Jesus did it all on the cross, knowing that we make many failures. And in that attitude, we're grateful, and we walk in that attitude of repentance every single day. Solomon got many things wrong, but he got a lot right too. And when it says, when you hear us, Lord, hear us and forgive, he knew that the people of God, that means you and that means me, walk in repentance. We need that forgiveness. How often? Every day. Amen? All right. Well, we are now going to enter into the opportunity to take communion, to remember what God did for us. And in this time of communion, uh, let me just say this, that if you're here tonight and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, uh, I would say hold on taking that communion. Communion is intended for God's people and God's people alone, those who know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. Now, here's good news, though. To become a Christian is not a complex thing. It means admitting that you're a sinner, that you've done wrong things. The Bible says that if you say you're not a sinner, you make God a liar. And so I hope you all recognize that you've done wrong things. I used to teach kids' church, and so we tried to not use theological words even as sin. I'd say, you know you're naughty, right? You've done wrong things, right? And the only ones that ever disagreed with me were little girls. No, I'm not bad. I've never sinned at all. And her brother, who she just punched in the head, is right there next to her. We've all done wrong things. You need to know that. You need to know that all the wrong things that we would ever do, past, present, or future, were covered on the cross. Jesus was punished for us. You need to acknowledge that. You need to receive Jesus Christ and what he did for, for on the cross for you and accept him as your Lord and Savior and give up ownership. Here's the last part that many people forget. You give up ownership of your life to do what God wants from here on out. It's a good trade. You give up all the crud and sin and punishment of your life and you get heaven. Come on, this is a good deal. That acknowledgement then makes you a child of God. And now you can take communion if you can do that. All right, well, I'm so glad that we got to do this tonight. Communion began on the annual celebration of Passover when Jesus told his his disciples to remember his sacrifice as they ate the bread and drank the wine. Just as Israel was celebrated, uh, celebrated the sacrifice of the Passover lamb when the angel of death passed over their homes, so believers in Jesus celebrate and remember his sacrifice for our sins when he died on the cross. Communion uses bread as a symbol of the body of Jesus and wine as a symbol of his blood. The act of taking communion does not save us, but it is an act of worship and remembrance. Heavenly Father, we pray that you'd bless this time of communion tonight and that as we hold the wafer in our hands, we remember the scripture from 1 Corinthians. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it. 
and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the wafer together. after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes let's partake together